0: No way you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. I was blind, but these eyes have been open. Now I walk in the light. Every step on this road I will follow, Jesus, you made a way. Reported by The Way in Brea. Lead Pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Waste Production Department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to everyone. I really appreciate the testimonies and uh, and the sharing during announcements. You know, even as we prayed and, and Gary reminded us that that uh, we should all have woken up and said Happy Father's Day to the Lord. He's a good, good Father. Amen. He is present. He is uh, active. He is engaged. Um, it's, a, it's a blessing. And then to, to hear the testimonies about what God's continuing to do in the lives of our young people, to have 14 of them going to, to elevate for a conference that hopefully changes their lives, to, to hearing about uh, Matthew, Gary's nephew, and what God's been doing just in visiting the church over the years. You know, I, I know a little bit of his testimony, visiting the church and then getting locked into his own church where he was going by himself. He was getting picked up by people from a church not going with his parents not going with with his grandparents that he lived with but wanted to be in church after visiting and and being here with us and our young people to hearing that he's you know really given his life uh and that uh restoration you know gary was sharing with me a little bit about with his with his uh his earthly father it just reminds us that that's what we're here to do amen it reminds us uh even in the series that we're in about about being missional it'd be easy to only care about the kids who are here every week It'd be easy to only provide opportunities for our own children. Uh, But I think uh, uh, God has more for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this is uh, an interesting Father's Day for me. On a spiritual level, I feel like I have more uh, spiritual sons and daughters in the faith that are actively looking to me for... um, just for love and for guidance and to lead them and disciple them. And I feel the responsibility that comes along with that. <clears throat> it's a great thing, but, but it is a responsibility. Any parent understands that. Um, and then personally in my home, I'm noticing how my children are changing and growing. Uh, and I feel the Lord telling me to be vigilant and attentive as that's taking place. I'm actually seeing uh, some of these things uh, uh, in the family. And Naomi specifically seems to be the one that the Lord is really pressing upon my heart at the moment, you know, as a, as a father for my little girl. Uh, I want to share with you guys that I had a nightmare on Friday night. Naomi was being picked up for her first date. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole nightmare. That was the nightmare. <laughs> and <clears throat> this little boy came to the house, and he showed up with his parents and and I felt like he was a good boy. I felt like he he had a good parents and Mary had run out you know Naomi was finishing getting ready, and she needed something, so Mary took off and, and ran to the store and they showed up while Mary was gone, so I told them, listen, you guys have to wait until Mary gets back, because I knew that if Mary came back and Naomi was gone on this date, that I would be getting divorced. <laughs> so I said, that's not gonna happen. And, and honestly, I woke up while we were ma- waiting for, uh, for Mary to get back from the store, whatever it was that she, was, she had gone to get. And as a father, you know, uh, I have all these thoughts in my head about what that day is going to be like and, and what I'm going to do to this poor little boy when he shows up to my house. And, and, but in the dream, none of that stuff took place. And, and like I said, I woke up. But there were a couple things that, that since then I've been thinking about, and I feel like God was trying to impress upon, upon my spirit. Uh, the first was uh, asking myself some important questions. The first was, um, did I make sure that, that Naomi understood how much God loves her? You know, that was the question God wanted me to, to ask myself, is as a father, you know, she's about to get in this car, she's about to go on this date, does she know how much her father in heaven loves her? The second question was, did I do a good job of, of making sure that Naomi knows how much I love her as her father? And then the last question was, did I teach her how to value and protect herself? All right. It was real simple, like, You know, sometimes parenting gets complicated, but I feel like the Lord was trying to simplify it for me. I have a lot of things that I need to do and places I need to be and things I need to teach. But at the end of the day, I want my daughter to know how much the Lord loves her. I want her to know how much her father loves her. And I want her to know how much she's worth. She has to value herself. And I want her to know how to protect herself. Right. As her father, no matter how much I always want to be there, I'm not always going to be there. She needs to know how to protect herself, so uh, take that for what it's worth. It was, it was encouraging that, that uh, my nightmare was, was just the uh, preparation for something that's off in the future. The, the other thing that was scary, Mary asked me, she's like, was she older? How old was she? I was like, baby, she was like 14, and I don't know what this means. Like, we ain't, we ain't down for that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> she was young. I couldn't really picture how old she was, but I woke up feeling challenged. And uh, I want to start off this morning with... Some words of encouragement but also i have some challenges for all of you who are here this morning so the first is to uh every woman in the building we need you to become great encouragers of men i wonder if each of you women could leave this building leave this service this morning and uh never say another discouraging word that tears down the men in your life imagine you could walk out of here and say you know what i'm going to be a woman that From this point forward, I will not discourage and I will not tear down the men in my life. Why can't you, why can't we be known as a group of believers that lift men up, that encourage men, that value men, and who help men to walk in their callings and walk in their destiny? Why can't that be how we're identified, especially the women in this place? Hey, there's something about those women. They love men. They encourage men. They value men. You should hear how they talk to them. You should hear how they cater to them. You, sh- you should see how they actually position themselves that the men would take the lead. Amen. Why shouldn't that be how we're identified? Now, listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the men here are perfect or that we deserve this treatment because of our own merits. What I'm saying is that you women should be prophetic. You women should be faithful to God, believing that that's what he desires. You also need to remember that in Christ, the men who are here in this place, we are more than what we may appear to be right now. (laughs) All right. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Ladies, doing this for the men in our lives is part of you working out your own salvation. This is what God desires of you, and he desires you to do it without complaining. (laughs) He desires you to be excited about it, That you are supposed to be a light in the world. People should be able to look at the women in this church and be able to say, man, there's something different about them. There's something special about them. They are bringing light to a dark world. Do not get involved in conversations where men are being torn down. Do not be an encourager. You know, something that God really impressed upon my heart. I've been having these conversations about different areas of life. But we are... we are. I don't know the best way to describe it, but but almost like zero sum. Right. You can't have one without without destroying the other. We can lift women up and we can be excited for women. We can empower women and, and we can see how God has used women in the word, how God is still using women in the world today. And we could do that without having to tear down women. We can lift men up without saying we're going to tear women down at the same time. I believe that this is something god wholeheartedly desires so i wanted to challenge the women who are here and again remember what i said i I pray that you leave this building today never to have it happen again god can make that happen he can make that a reality so for the men and for the fathers who are here deuteronomy chapter 4 verse (coughs) 9 it says take heed to yourselves And diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. For the men, specifically for the fathers, we have to look at ourselves and keep ourselves on the path of righteousness. It's your responsibility. It's not my responsibility, it's not her responsibility, it's not the kid's responsibility. As men, as fathers, look at your own life and keep yourself on the path of righteousness. Be attentive, be vigilant, be intentional. Not only do we have to live it, but we have to live it in a way that enables us to teach our children and teach our grandchildren. Live it out, teach your kids, teach your grandkids, share it with somebody else. It's more than just saying we're Christians. It's more than just going to church. It's saying, I live a life of righteousness. I'm on a path to being formed into the image of Christ, and I'm going to show you how to do that. I'm going to make sure that it happens. That's our responsibility as men. And that is not going to happen uh, through church attendance. It's going to happen through pursuing Christ with passion and understanding what it is that he's called us to do finally for the children who are here in this place young kids older kids all the children here we need children both physical children that belong to your fathers and spiritual children who have spiritual fathers here in this place to follow their fathers children need to follow 2 kings chapter 5 verse 25 It says, he went in and stood before his master or his father. Elisha said to him, where'd you go, Gehazi? And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you? When the man turned back from his chariot to meet you, Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous and white as snow. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. um, Elisha had healed a man who had leprosy. He came looking for help, and Elisha told him what he needed to do. And when he was healed, he said, listen, I want to bless you. I want to give you money. I want to pay you for what you've done. And Elisha says, no, it's not about that. I don't need your money. And Elisha, I don't want to get into it. But Elisha had good reason. He's like, man, this isn't about what you can do for me. It's about what God can do for you, right? And then as, as they go back home, and, and this, this man, Naaman, who'd been healed of leprosy, left, um, Uh, Elisha's servant or his disciple or his spiritual son named Gehazi he leaves he sneaks away and he goes back to the man that had been healed and he says hey my master you know said that he reconsidered and and if you if you got the hookup we'll take it now and he took the payment and when he gets back he gets back home his spiritual father says to him hey hey where'd you go he said I didn't go anywhere and this is this is what the father said to the son did not my heart go with you There's nowhere you can go where I'm not with you. I am your spiritual father. I know everything that's going on in your life. I have a connection from heaven for you. And he lied to me, he said, I didn't go anywhere. He said, listen, what was on him is now gonna be on you and on your descendants, generation to generation, this leprosy. Why? Because he wasn't following his father, he was following his own heart's desires. We need children who will follow their fathers, physically our children, spiritually our children, and this means everybody in the room. We have a spiritual father, and everybody in the room has a heavenly father. Follow well. Amen. It's not just for the 4 to 6, 7, 11, and our teenagers. It's for everybody in the room. Yes. Follow your father. Amen? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for <clears throat> Father's Day again. We thank you that you are our good, good father. We thank you that you've blessed us, Lord, in this building with men who are fathers to our children, Lord God. We thank you that you've given us surrogates. We thank you that you've empowered women, Lord, to lead in ways that they were not designed to lead for absentee fathers, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us spiritual fathers to help us and to lead us and to guide us as well, Lord. You love the family and you are a father and you've set such a good example, Lord. Our desire this morning is that we would honor you as your children, that we would be attentive that we would be open, that we would follow your lead this morning, Lord God, and always. I ask that you would have your way over your word. I ask that you would have your way over your sons and your daughters, that you would remind us here in this place that we are loved, that we are valued, Lord, that we would know how much you love us, Lord God. We would know how much you uh, have given us value and worth. And finally, Lord God, that you would help us to understand how to protect what you've given us, Lord. We love you. I ask that you would have your way in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So last week we started our series, uh, missional community, missional community. That's the series that we're in. And we looked at Peter. We looked at Cornelius, how God showed Peter, listen, you got to go into this place. you got to eat this food. you got to help these people. And it took a change of heart and a change of mind for him to be missional. So, so far, I'm hoping that everybody was able to receive some of that and, and wrestle with it in your life groups and in your prayer time. That if you are going to be missional as an individual, if we are going to be missional as a church, there has to be a shift in our heart, there has to be a shift in our mind to see things the way that God sees it, and to do things maybe differently than we've done them in the past, to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us every step of the way. So uh, I think it was really good to start that way. This morning, we're going to look at missional fathers, missional fathers. So what should be the goal of every father? You know, if you were to go out right now, go to lunch today and, and see some dads rolling around, say, hey, hey, what was your goal as a father? What does it mean to be a father? What, what should a father want to be? You know, Mary asked for, for those to stand that one day want to be fathers. If, if those young people stand up and, and they ask us, you know, well, what should my goals be when I do become a father? I guarantee you'd get so many different answers. So many different paths that we could go down. And think about how many young men would just take the path that whoever was uh, laid out before them, or the path that maybe you followed. What is it that we should actually be striving for? I believe that we should seek to raise kids that love Jesus and kids who are excited to be launched out into the world to change it for Jesus. That's the goal of a father. That's the goal of a missional father. When my kids get older, I want them to be able to say, I love Jesus. (laughs) And when they get to an age where like these ones, we're talking about graduation parties, they're 17, they're 18, they're about to go out on their own. Some of them are going to leave home. Some of them are going to go to college. I pray that they would be the types that would be able to say, I'm going to change the world for Jesus. I'm not just going to get a degree. I'm not just going to get a job. I'm not just going to get a car. I'm not just going to get a house. I'm not just going to have a family. I want to change the world for Jesus. You can do all kinds of other things. If you get these two right, kids that love Jesus and want to change the world for them, all those other things will fall into place. That's right. <clears throat> if we're going to do that, we need missional fathers. Missional fathers. Psalm 127, verse 1, says that this is a song of a sense that, that Solomon, King David's son Solomon, writes this. A sense means we're, we're going up To Jerusalem. We're going up to remember what God has done, right? We're ascending to this place and we're all going to sing this song together. It says, "...unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep." Right? So the first part of this says, "...unless it's all about God, it's worthless." (laughs) You can go get a job and a career and an education, but if God's not involved, it's in vain. It's all going to come to nothing. You may be rich your whole life, but what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? That's That's what this song is talking about. Unless God builds it, unless God is there, unless God is in your relationship, unless God is in your education, tell these kids it has no value. Right? So that's where we're at so far in this song. It's a good song. Then it says this, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So check this out. It says, Children are a blessing, children are a reward. And if you've got children, you are like a warrior with arrows that are ready to be shot out into the world. Happy is any father who has a quiver full of them. A quiver, right, is this little case that carries all your arrows. So listen to what the world tells us as fathers and what the world tells us as mothers too. It says, hover over your kids. Guard your kids. Don't let them be exposed. Protect them and keep them as close as possible for as long as possible. Don't ever let them get out of your sight. And listen to what the scripture says. You are a warrior with arrows that need to be sharpened and shot as far as possible. The direct opposite of what the world tells us is what God tells us. And how many of us are operating as missional fathers who are preparing arrows to be shot into the world? Or how many of us are operating as worldly fathers who think it's so good if you're just there and protecting them? It's not easy, but we need to be missional fathers i don't want to tell a story about how i protected my kids from everything and i kept them as close as possible for as long as possible and we see each other every sunday even though they're 25 years old and we're still together and no, no no no, i want to be able to tell a story man i sharpened them the best i could i gave them the the strongest character rods for these sharp arrows and then when they were ready they were like dad where are we going i don't know man but i'm about to shoot you as far as i can We just took our kids to South Africa, and there was a cost associated with that. And the conference we went to was powerful. But it wasn't about the conference for them. For me, it was about preparing my kids to understand that this whole world belongs to them. There's nowhere they can't go. By the time they leave our house at 18, I hope that they've seen so many countries that they're not talking to us just about what college they want to go to locally. They're talking to us about where they want to go, where they want to live, where they want to spend their late 20s, their early 20s, their late teens, why? Because I'm sharpening arrows. It's not a little ball I'm going to roll down the street and it's only got a little bit of momentum. It's not easy, but I want to be a missional father. It doesn't mean I don't love my kids. I love my kids. And to be honest with you, I wish that some of that, that world is in me, right? Where I want to be close to them forever but I'd rather have them telling me stories. The, the, the family that we stayed with in, uh, in South Africa in Johannesburg, they're, they're an Indian family, moved to South Africa. Their son decided he wanted to become a missionary. I forgot where he moved initially, but now he lives in Germany. He married some German girl, he speaks German, and you should have seen how excited they were to talk to us about what God is doing in the, in the life of their son, Amen. right? They weren't sad that they didn't get to see him all the time. They weren't sad that he moved off. They're like, he loves Jesus. He became a missionary. He learned another language. He married some woman from another culture, and now they're changing the world for God. So listen to that in the light of the fact that we are all children of God, right? God is a bowman. He is not trying to hover over us and protect us and keep us safe in a nice little cuddly, soft place. God is like this all the time, right? And He's reaching back for a bow, and He's like, "Okay, who's ready?" Bam! And then how many of us are in the quiver hiding? Like, (laughs) don't get me. You're, you're like, you're. He goes to reach, and you grab your brother and pick him up. Like. I got one ready for you, Lord. Shoot him. <laughs> no, we're all children of God. Most of us are thinking right now, yeah, you're right. These kids need to go somewhere. And God's like, yeah, he's right. You do too. <laughs> Listen to this. This is Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1. It says, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. Right. Listen, he's talking about you. These, I'm gonna read it again. I want you to, all these me's, I want you to consider you being able to say these words. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me, say me, the Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he's made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me, and he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with God, with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the, the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Okay. The person is saying, I wasted so much time hiding instead of being an arrow in a quiver. I was laboring in vain. I was living my life. I was pursuing things that didn't have any eternal value. God shaped me and formed me, and he said, you are supposed to be my arrow that gets shot out to change the world. He says, but it's not too late. Not only am I going to send you out, he says, listen, this is Israel, the the first arrow. He says, not only am I going to send you out to bring Israel back to me, but that's not enough. I want you to go get all the Gentiles, get everybody in the whole world. Everybody in here is a child of God. You are an arrow in his quiver, and he is sending you out for his glory to change the world. Amen. That's what it means to be missional, a missional community. That's what it means to have a missional father. So back to missional fathers. Paul was a missionary. Most of you have a Bible. You can flip to the back, and I'll show you pictures of all his missional, missionary journeys, right? First journey, second journey, third journey. And it's showing how the church, <laughs> excuse me, was being built and how the word was going forth and going to the ends of the earth when he called them. I want to start with the statement that he makes because not only was he a missionary, but he was a father and he was a missional father. And uh, he makes this statement <clears throat> to a church that he planted in, in Corinth. It gives a good description of what it means to be a father, a physical father, and a spiritual father. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. So this is Paul, a missionary, a missional father, 1 Corinthians 4, 11. <coughs> Speaking of fathers, he says, To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscourging or offscuring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. So good. (laughs) Two things I want to point out to you guys. Being a good, godly man, being a good, godly father, is equated in this scripture to being the filth of the world. See, this is why we need women and children who will follow and who will lift us up. Paul says, we're the filth of the world, right? We're we're talked bad about, we're beaten, we're accused. We have all these things happening to us. Why? Because we're men of God. Because we're good men of God. Because we are godly fathers, the world sees us as the filth of the world, Who are you to raise up these children who love Jesus? Who are you to raise up these children who follow the word of God? Who are you to raise up children who have morals and values that are so dramatically different than what the world is trying to teach them and what the books say in their schools? We hate you men. And then at the same time, we have women even in our own homes who are tearing us down the same way. Paul says, look, this is what it means to be a father. You're going to go out there and work. You're going to go out there and use your hands. You're going to be getting it by the sweat of your brow. You're going to be tired, and sometimes you're going to be hungry just so the family can eat. Don't be surprised by it. This is what it means to be a man. Get over it. Be a man. Go to work when you're hurt. Go to work when you're tired. Go to work when you're sick. Second thing, we live in a day and in an age just like it was in Corinth where there was no shortage of teachers and instructors and places that you can turn for information. Paul says to this church, listen, you got a lot of instructors, they're everywhere. Everybody has a philosophy, everybody has a teaching. You have all these open squares where people can come and just teach and people can come and listen and say, hey, I like that or I don't like that. And there's another open square later on this afternoon. Let's go over there and see what people have to say. That's the day and age that we live in right now. You can get on Google and find anything you can get onto your, to your phone, your tablet, your app, right? And you can get teaching from anywhere. I'm not talking about just bad stuff and bad philosophy. I'm talking about even good stuff. You can get the best preachers in the world at the palm of your hand. The best teachers in the world at the palm of your hand. You can get seminary education. Many of you guys know that I'm I'm in seminary right now. A master's program from a a reputable college. You can get it anywhere. But listen to what Paul says. He says, listen, you have a multitude of those, but you don't have many fathers. We need to know the difference between instructors and teachers and information and fathers. Yes. Verse 15, he says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. He says, therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Don't imitate the person that is on your app. Don't imitate the person that you found on Google and and you got the best that they had to give you on the best day with the best lighting and the best film crew. (laughs) Right? He's saying, imitate me. What he's saying is, listen, there's something different between an instructor and a father. And not only that, I'm close enough to you to be able to imitate me. You have to be able to reach out and touch me. You have to be able to call me. You have to be able to grab a hold of me. You have to be able to walk with me in order to imitate me. Yes, amen. I don't think we really understand what it means to be a father. We have to be present. And a lot of people are looking for other examples or other instructors, even within homes. You know, it it happens all the time. The the kids are looking at their friend's house. The kids are looking at the the father on TV. The wife is looking at the father on TV or the father down the street or the leader at the church, right? Instead of looking at, hey, this one is the one that's actually here. (laughs) This one is the one that God has actually placed in this family. Build him up and follow him. Paul is saying a lot, he says, listen, I'm willing to say, imitate me. What what that means, not only am I here and I'm close enough, but I'm also willing to take the risk to say, if you follow me, you will be successful. If you follow me, I will get you where it is that you are supposed to go. Ask how many people on those apps are willing to say that to you. (laughs) Ask how many uncles are willing to pay that for you. Ask how many other people, only fathers. You have 10,000 teachers and instructors and surrogates for a time, but you don't have many fathers. Man, we need to value fathers. So that's the Paul that we're talking about. He has a good understanding of what it means to be missional. He has a great understanding of what it means to be a father. He's laid out an example. He's saying, not only will you listen to what I'm saying and writing and and producing for you guys, but actually you can watch me, you can walk with me, you can follow me, you can imitate me. And uh, that's the Paul, that uh, the story we're going to look at for a few minutes here in the book of Acts. It's this man who's uh, kind of the head of this story. Acts chapter 14, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. And uh, that's where we'll be for the rest of the time this morning. <clears throat> Missional fathers. <clears throat> I'm going to read uh, the whole of uh, Acts chapter 14, 1 through 28. <clears throat> when you get there, say amen. amen. It'll be up on the screen for you. Already is. Got it on my paper here, but I just feel like I want to flip these pages a little bit. Amen. amen. <clears throat> Acts chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Now it happened at Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. This is uh, Paul and Barnabas are the two characters in this story. Verse 8, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet! And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitudes, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. And we preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness. In that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, or with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word to Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Amen? Amen. Good story? Man, the book of Acts, so good. So at the heart of this story, I believe it's about truth being received, but initially misunderstood, right? They go into this city and they're preaching. They're telling the truth of who God is and it's received. These people are excited about it, but they misunderstand it. Verse 11 and 12 say, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So it's interesting that we know as Christians that it's Emmanuel, it's Jesus who is God with us, who has come down from heaven in the likeness of men, right? So they weren't that far off. They, they see this power that Paul and Barnabas show up with. Paul sees this man and he says, rise up and walk. This guy has been crippled his whole life. Everybody knows it. He stands up and starts walking. They say, oh my God, we've never seen power like this. This has to be the power of God, the gods. This is Zeus and this is Hermes. And they start worshiping Paul. They start wor- worshiping Barnabas. They took the power they had seen, they took the word that they were hearing, and they mixed it with what they had learned from their fathers. You know that we have a tendency to do the same thing? Yeah. They were seeing something brand new that they had never really seen before. They were hearing a word being preached to them that was brand new, they had never heard it before. It was truth and it was impacting their lives, but what they decided to do was say, what have our fathers taught us about power like this what have our fathers taught us about religion and and the gods well let's mix it i think he's zeus i think he's hermes and the 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 priest of those gods those false gods he comes in and says this is special too and he gets ready to offer to these guys we have to realize what it means to have a new father in heaven God has given us spiritual fathers to help us understand what it means to have a new father in heaven, to help us understand it like Paul and like Barnabas, right? Paul and Barnabas, not only did they have to preach the message, not only were they being used to display the power of God, but then they had to say, listen, we've got to really help you understand that you have a new father in heaven. You don't have to listen to your earthly fathers anymore about what they've been telling you. And it means something completely different for your life. Ephesians chapter one, verse three says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ unto himself. You know what it means to be adopted? It means we have a new family. It means we have new family values, it means we have new family traditions, and it means we have new family expectations of how we're gonna live. That's what it means to be adopted, right? One day you're being raised a certain way, one day you're being taught a certain way, one day you're eating certain kinds of foods, And literally the very next day you've been adopted, you have new family values. You have a new family menu. You have new family expectations. Where you used to be, you didn't have chores. Now you're going to clean when you wake up. Where you used to be, you didn't pray before you eat. We're going to pray before we eat. Where you used to be, you didn't have to read the word for yourself. You just had to go to church, whether you slept in the building or not. Now when you come, you're going to have your own Bible. You are going to be reading. We're going to ask you questions when we leave church. We have a whole new family value because you've been adopted into a new family. What these people wanted to do is, they wanted to get some of this new godly stuff from Paul and Barnabas, but they wanted to apply it to their old family and their old ways and their old fathers and their old teaching. How many of us have come into the church and said, man, I've been adopted into something brand new and I'm gonna learn what it means to be a part of this family, not try to make this new family associated with my old ways. We've been adopted, new family, new tradition, new way of thinking, new way of living. In verse 14 and 15, it says, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, right, that they thought they were Zeus and Hermes and they were going to make offerings to them and they were praising them as gods. It says, when they heard this, they tore their clothes, they ran in among the multitude and they were crying out saying, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God. They couldn't wait to get there and say, you got it wrong. (laughs) They're running in, tore their clothes off. What are you guys doing? That's the old way. We don't do that. We don't praise each other. We don't bow down before each other. We have a father in heaven. He deserves all the praise. He deserves all the glory. But at the same time, Paul and Barnabas are like spiritual fathers. They say, it's my responsibility to go in there and tell these new, the adopted children that that's not how they're going to act in this house. We need men who will do this type of thing with our own kids. When we see them doing something that is wrong, that is against what God would desire, we need to be the ones that run in and say, what are you doing? That's not how we live in this house. That's not how we honor our father in heaven. That's not how we act at school. Not because we're embarrassed that the kid did something they shouldn't have done and we look bad as parents. No, but because we have a father in heaven. We've been adopted into a family and we're going to operate and live as members of this family. We need the same thing in the church. We need men who will come running into the building and say, what are you doing to other men? Who will show up at the the men's uh, uh, fellowship and Bible study and when it's all done, right? And one of them said, hey, guys, what are we doing? We look like the seven sons of Sceva. This demon-possessed man, boy, 120 pounds, rolled up on us and punked us. <laughs> and not one of us was willing to say, no, hold on for a second. Either in love or in teaching afterwards or in addition to the Bible study, what did we learn last week or two weeks ago? This, this man, um, these, these, these seven sons of Sceva, their, their father is a priest. And they say, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, we command you out. And the demon laughs at them and says, hey, listen, I know Paul, I know Jesus, but who do you think you are? You ain't filled with the spirit. Whipped them, made them naked, and they took off running. We need men that will be able to be able to walk into a, a space with other men, just like Paul and Barnabas, and say, hey, that's not how we roll. That's, right. that's not what we do. Amen. And we will be more prepared next time. So we're not just going to mess around all month and go to church and and come to events. No, if we recognize that we are showing up places, but we are not gaining spiritual strength, we need men who will walk in as fathers and say, listen, we're going to really get strong. That's what Paul and Barnabas were doing. They could have easily said, oh, we went into that city and we healed this guy and all kinds of people believed and it was great. And they could go on about their business, but they're like, no, we are fathers. We are not just teachers who are going to spit something out and then let people live how they want. They heard that they weren't living it as children of God. They went running to get it right. One One of the most consistent voices of act right, get it right, live for Jesus, stop being a fool in my life, is my wife. And she's one of the most consistent voices in the whole church. Where are the men? She, She leads a worship team. She should never have to say anything to anybody on the worship team because there are men on that worship team. She should never have to say anything to me because there should be men who are, I'm striving to be like, oh, look, look at how they're living. Look at how they're walking. Look at how they're reading. Look at how they're praying. Look at how they're raising their kids. Look at how they're working. I want to imitate that. But God's saying, listen, if you won't worship me, the rocks will cry out. If the men won't lead. Paul and Barnabas go running in. Oh, we got to get it right. (coughs) Verse 3 says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So they come into this place. It's a difficult place, but they stay a long time, and God is moving. Missional fathers will stay a long time, even in the face of adversity. If you know you're on mission as a father it gets hard there is adversity but paul and barnabas didn't say you know what we're just going to tuck tail and run they decided to stay a long time and keep fighting and keep fathering what they were doing wasn't easy it wasn't glorious it wasn't very rewarding in the middle of it right they probably didn't even have a father's day Right, At least once a year, everybody stands in class for us. And we take pictures and we get donuts. <laughs> they didn't even have that. Nobody was stopping to say, hey, Spiritual Father's Day, Paul, Barnabas, we love you. But it didn't stop them. They stayed. <clears throat> the Lord bore witness to the work that they were doing, though, by granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands, right? He says, listen, <clears throat> I see what you're doing. And I'm going to grant that signs and wonders. People will be amazed by what is being done by your hands. Actually, Paul, actually Barnabas, these spiritual fathers. I believe that every man and every father can be used to do signs and wonders in their own home. If your kids follow Jesus, it's a miracle. If your kids go to church, it's a miracle. If your kids are praying... It's a miracle. You heard, you heard Gary say that, that Nairi had to tell him, hey listen, aren't you standing in the gap for Matthew? God's doing a miracle, hallelujah. That's, so listen, it's, it's great. Like, like he mentioned, oh, it's convicting that my daughter had to remind me, but it should also be encouraging as a father that your daughter can remind you. Yes. You are doing signs and wonders in your home. I talk about it all the time. If any child lives in your home, and you are paying the rent, I don't care if they're 37 years old, they better be in church. <laughs> Why? Because I'm the father, I'm the mother. I have, a, I have an ability to impact you, I have an ability to influence you. If you don't want this impact, you don't want this influence, go live on your own. On. Yeah. While I've got it, I'm gonna take advantage of it. Yes. And then when you see signs and wonders where all of a sudden you're walking through the house, they say, I don't wanna go to church, I hate going, stop making me. But then you hear them say something spiritual, You watch them make a different type of of decision in a direction that they're going. God is using you to do signs and wonders by your hands, by your words, by your rules, by your authority that he's given you. We've got to see things differently. We have to open our eyes and we have to raise our expectations. I expect to see every man, every father, specifically doing signs and wonders in their home. being, Being respected in their home being a a father that can be followed in their home, in every spiritual area. If your wife or your kids wanna know how to read, how to study, they should be looking to you. If they wanna know how to pray, they should be looking to you. You cannot say, I don't pray out loud. You can't. You can't say, I don't do that, so go to the church. Go find another man. No, by your hand, signs and wonders in your home. This is what Paul is experiencing. And this is the foundation that he's laying for me and for you. Open our eyes. Raise our expectations. Be used by God. Verse 7 through 9. They were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, crippled from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Missional fathers have to show our children and our wives that being missional means it's not all about them either. So, Paul has disciples, he has spiritual sons, daughters, and there's a mission and there's a plan and there's all these things that have to happen. But in this instance, Paul is saying, Listen, I've also been sent to help other people. It's not all about you, son. It's not all about you, daughter. It's not all about you, wife. There's gonna be times you want me home and I'm gone. There's gonna be times you want me at the game, but I gotta be used by God to change somebody's destiny, their eternal destiny. I'm missional, it means I can't always be available. I love getting around missional men. The things that I get to hear in some of the, the circles I have an opportunity to, to sit in and run with, it's like uh, one, of, one of the men says, I missed prom, I missed my, my, uh, both of my kids' birthdays this year, and I didn't apologize when I got home because I'm not sorry. Our kids understand that we are on mission. Yeah. Our kids understand that we are trying to change the world for Jesus. Of course, I would have liked to be there, but I want to raise kids that understand that I can't sometimes. Paul is like, look, I came into this place and maybe it's for this man that I'm here. It's not for my kids. It's not for my marriage. Most of us make decisions based on what is the benefit for my marriage, what is the benefit for me, what is the benefit for my kids. That's not being missional. Being missional is... My family is on mission, and sometimes things are going to be good for us, sometimes things are going to be good for others, but God makes all things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's all about the kingdom. We need missional fathers who teach our family, it ain't all about you all the time. Paul was on the lookout for somebody who had the faith to be healed. I love this part of it. We're reminded that there's this synergy, right? Like, God says, I want to do something. Paul says, I'm an arrow. Pull me out of your quiver. I want to be used. And then there's somebody that has to have their life changed. But just because God wants to do it and there's a man who's willing to be used to do it doesn't mean that anything's going to happen in somebody else's life. This person has to have the faith to be healed. This person has to want their life to be changed. So many times we get frustrated because we're like, we want it so bad for people. Why isn't anything happening? Because they don't want it. (laughs) If they wanted it, they could have it. There's synergy. All three parts need to come together. I love this part of the story because you know what we have to become better at? And this isn't just for the fathers. We have to become better at recognizing those who have the faith to be healed. We'll pour ourselves into certain people and they don't want it. And there's somebody else who looks like they're just sitting there crippled, but they have the faith to be healed. They need somebody to come along and say, stand up, walk with me, come to church with me. I'll pick you up. Here's a Bible. Let's read together. Verse 19, then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing him to be dead. However, the disciples gathered around him and rose up and he rose up and went into the city. Here's one thing we have to remember if we're gonna be missional fathers. The past catches up with us. The past catches up with us. See, we're in chapter 14, but if you go back, Paul and Barnabas have been going city to city, doing crazy things. People are getting saved. Imagine what happens when when a husband gets saved and the wife doesn't. Imagine what happens when a wife gets saved and the husband doesn't. Imagine what happens when all of a sudden we're picking up your kids and they're starting to live differently and there's things that they won't do at home anymore. There's things that they won't watch at home anymore. There's things that they're calling their parents out for. All of a sudden, the the, the parents are like, hey, who who taught you that or who told you that? Who are these youth leaders? Who is this pastor? Where is this church? And then Paul and Barnabas go off to the next city and these people are hunting them down. Because they came through their lives, they came through their homes, they came through their city, and they changed stuff. If you are gonna be missional, be prepared. Your past will catch up with you. It's just like being in the world. Many of us, when we were in the world, we knew the past was gonna catch up with us. The things we did, the people we took from, the things that we said that we shouldn't have said, it always catches up with you. The great thing about being in the kingdom is, yes, it's gonna catch up with you, but glory be to God, at least we're leaving a good wake behind us. I had somebody call me this weekend on my, on my church phone. I know it's a church call. I pick it up. Hey, I heard my wife's over there getting counseling from this church. I was like, sorry, you've reached the wrong number. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I was like, who are you? Who is your wife? What are we talking about? and after getting some of that information i realized listen i am not counseling that lady i don't know who you're talking about however it was a good reminder to me that what we do here gary said it earlier like this ain't a game like sometimes going to church has become like like kind of a game and a a safe thing to do and a safe place to be and it's such good morals for your family but then there's like other people who are doing things that put you in danger it's not a game. This person sounded like, if you're the person I'm looking for, you need to be on the lookout for me for now on. <laughs> That's what he was calling me for. We end up talking for a half an hour and praying together because once he realized that I wasn't the guy, I still wanted to like, do my best to minister for him because I wanted to make sure that if he later on when schizophrenic and thought I was the guy again, at least you'd be able to say he was nice though, I'm not just gonna go shoot him up. The second thought that came into my mind was, I gotta talk to our security team and tell them be on the lookout <laughs> all the time, be ready. <laughs> but listen, I began to think, and all the, all the years of ministry, all the places I've been, all the things that we've done in this church, the same thing has happened. We have counseled certain people we have been in the middle of very difficult, intense relationships and situations. We have, you know, told people who would, who would say, I don't want my, my child to go anywhere, that now nah, we think they should go across the world for almost a year. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we've done things, we've said things, we've counseled, we've led in such a way that the past does catch up with you and everybody doesn't love you and everybody doesn't agree with the decisions you've made and doesn't agree with what you're preaching and what you're teaching. Paul and Barnabas said, listen, we are missional fathers and we know that that's part of the gig. How many of us are missional in that way where we don't care if the past catches up with us? It's great to be able to look back and say, listen, I believe what I preach, I believe what I taught, I believe what I counseled. And if if it comes back, we can talk about it. I don't have anything to be afraid of. I got security. (laughs) The world's not gonna be happy if you raise Christian kids if they impact their schools, if they impact their workplaces, if they marry into families, <coughs> hopefully they're marrying a Christian but that doesn't mean they have Christian families. If they marry into a family and they impact that family because they say, as, as your new daughter-in-law, just so you know, I'm not going to these types of things and I'm not gonna be involved in these types of things that you guys have been doing for years. The world's not gonna be happy. They're gonna be looking for you. Why'd you raise your kids like this? Why'd you teach them that? Why do they come to this job and act that way? Why do they put their Bible on the desk? Because we're missional and I don't care what you think and I don't care if you like me or not. So they stone Paul for it. (laughs) They think he's dead. Listen, they came from another city. They found him teaching. It's like a (laughs) drive-by. When I was reading this, this is what I thought. It's like a drive-by. Something that had happened in the past catches up with him. He's in the middle of preaching and teaching in a new city. They come rolling through, and with rocks, they stone him to death. Verse 20 says, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went back into the city. See, it's our children that give us the strength to rise up and keep going after we've been attacked. They thought he was dead. They tried to kill him, but it says the disciples, his spiritual children, they gathered around him. They didn't let him just get stoned and die. They're like, Father, leader, right? Paul, please wake up. Please get up. And then you could see it. You know, I see everything in, in movie form, but it's like a movie scene where he's dead and all of a sudden you see an eye open. And he sees all of his spiritual children. And you know what they're basically saying? We still need you to lead. You gotta get up. He gets up and goes back into the city. My kids, my, my actual kids, Nate, Naomi, and Niall, whether they know it or not, there's been so many times where they've encouraged me to keep going, right? Where you wanna quit, where you wanna give up, where you wanna take a break. I remember when I went back to, to college, I, I don't even know if I ever told Mary this, but my motivation was, I saw the kids were getting a little bit older, they were starting to go to school, I'm like, these kids are gonna graduate college before I do. <laughs> And I registered that same day. (laughs) I was motivated by them. In life, in work, and a lot of times, over and over again, I see them, and I'm like, I got to do something. Spiritually, as a father, a spiritual father in this church, there's so many times where I'm tired, so many times where I want to quit, so many times where I feel like giving up. And I'll look, and I'll say, but look at them. Look at what God's doing in their lives. Look at how God's using them. Like, I was sitting in the back this morning. Gary's up here giving announcements and, and leading us after, after Mary does offering a, or, or th- does the offering. And then I'm listening to Gary talk about Steve. And then I'm in the back like, dang, look at what God's doing. You better get up. <laughs> you, better, you better keep going. You better keep reading, keep praying, keep outreaching, keep doing courses, <laughs> keep doing all of it. Why? Because look. So good. So good. Keep getting up, fathers. <clears throat> Be missional. Last one, I want to close with this. Verse 20 through 23. It says, However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples... They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. These missional fathers had been so many places, but they made it a point to keep coming back right? So, so look at it. They're, they're going into these cities. They're preaching. People are believing. They're becoming disciples. And then they're leaving and, and going on to the next city and the next location, the things that, that God had for them. But they made it a point to keep coming back. Even when it says they went back to, uh, to these particular locations, these, these are places they had been kicked out. These are places they had been stoned. These are places where they weren't loved and adored. But because they had children there, they kept going back to strengthen them and to show them, listen, we care more about you than the danger we're in. We care more about you than whatever it is that we're afraid of. Amen. Missional fathers fathers understand leaving and returning, but always finding a way to be present. If you're gonna be a missional father, I said it earlier, you can't always be there. You have to be able to teach your family, wives, kids, whoever it's gonna be that, listen, I have to leave and I wanna leave well. I want you to know that I'm leaving. I want you to know why I'm leaving. But they also understand returning. I've got to come back. (laughs) I can't stay gone forever. Otherwise, I'm not a father. I'm not missional. I'm absentee. (laughs) Right? A missional father leaves and returns. But this is the best part. A missional father not only leaves and returns, they find a way to make sure that they are always present. Their children know that, listen, even though I may physically be gone, I'm with you spiritually. I am present with you. You are with me and I am with you. We we are never disconnected. There are times where even with our father in heaven, we feel as if he's far from us, but our hearts know he's near us, right? It needs to be the same for us as, as physically men and women with our own children, both physical children and spiritual children where they understand that we are present. This is how Elisha said it to Gehazi, 2 Kings 5.26. Did not my heart go with you? My heart goes with you. I may be out of the area. I may be at work. I may be on a trip. I may be gone on a mission trip, who knows where I am, but, but son, I can look at Nate and say, son, my heart goes with you. When you go to school, you're not just somebody else's kid, you're my kid and my heart is with you. What happens to you at school and what you do to others at school, it affects me, it impacts me, it's important to me. Same to my daughter, same to my, to my youngest son, and the same to the church, right? Spiritual fathers and leaders, we don't just say, hey, we'll see you next Sunday. Our heart goes with you. Yes. If you're struggling, we're struggling. If you're sick, we feel for you. If you, if you are having battles with your own kids, we care about that because our heart goes with you. We're connected. That's what, that's what Elisha was trying to say to Gehazi. He said, listen, is it time? This, this young man, Gehazi, he's following Elisha. He's seen miracles. He's seen what God can do. And he's like, man, we've been doing this long enough. Like somebody finally wants to hook us up. Let's take the hookup. And then he says to him, is it time? Like, have we done so much that now we deserve to be rewarded? He's like, man, my heart goes with you. I'm not done fathering you. If you think it's time to be rewarded, you haven't learned enough. Follow me. Our hearts stay. Being missional, I love that Paul comes back to all these churches. He says, listen, I'm not going to leave you like that. (laughs) I'm coming back. The chapter ends by telling us that in every church they went to, or every church that they planted, they raised up elders. It means that they took who were initially spiritual children. Think about this. We're closing. Listen, Paul and Barnabas go into a city. For the first time, they begin to preach Jesus, salvation, resurrection, right? Some people get it wrong initially, and they call them Zeus and Hermes. But as fathers, they keep coming. They keep saying, no, I got to teach you the right thing. I got to teach you the right thing. If they're appointing elders, what that means is that they've gone into these churches and new believers have been parented to become elders and leaders and fathers in their own right. That takes time. It takes effort. And it says they didn't do that sometimes. In every single church that they went to, they were gone and they'd return. They were physically gone but spiritually present. They were constantly fathering, constantly teaching to the point where these these new-believing young boys and young men become strong-believing elders who are teaching other young boys and teaching other young men. Paul and Barnabas become spiritual fathers and they become spiritual grandfathers in every single church. They were invested for the long haul that way. And it says that they were able to do that raise these type of men up and it says that they left them in the hands of the lord and they moved on parenting is supposed to be that way both spiritually you raise men up you raise women up to a point where they are elders they are strong they're able to raise up others you leave them in the hands of the lord you don't always stay as that that uh, type of active figure in their life <clears throat> you become a grandfather you become a grandmother But then it says that they were able to leave these churches and they were able to be strong. Everything that we read, every church that's been planted, it, it happens the same way. It happens the same way. Missional fathers. Do we have enough missional fathers in the room? Do we have enough women in the room who will help men become missional? Who will encourage men? Who will strengthen men? And then do we have enough children who are willing to follow? Uh, It's not time. It's not time to not follow. It's the time to follow closer. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand. So this morning... uh, Even though it's fresh and in hindsight of the message, I feel like we live in a world where we can find enough pats on the back. (laughs) We really can find enough people to tell us that we're doing amazing. That the kids are gonna be fine. And you need to think about yourself and happy Father's Day. You know, I'll confess at the beginning of this altar call that. Did we give everybody something, Mary? No. OK, good. I'll confess, it's my fault. You know, Mary was like, we need to bless the fathers. We need to give them a gift card. We need to give them something. We, we always do it for the mothers, and every year we do it for the fathers. And I told her, we need to stop rewarding each other for doing what we're supposed to be doing. I said, we're men. Just be a good dad. Just be a good father, because you're supposed to. And then Mary, she's such a good mother. She was like, no, but they're going to say, you know, how awesome. You know, I know that the, the women got something. We're probably going to get something. I was like, that's a problem. <laughs> so what does that all that mean? It means, like I said, listen, if you want that, just, just go out there today. Go in the restaurant. They're going to praise you. If, if you just say, hey, I'm still here in my kid's life, the world is going to praise you. But not here in this place. I want missional fathers. <laughs> I want men who are going to rise up and say, I could do better next year than I did this year. I want men who could say, you know what, I'm not the one teaching my kids to pray, but that stops today. I'm not the one teaching my kids to read, but that stops today. I want to be challenged. I want men to be able to say, listen, I want to live it out in such a way that I would be able to say, imitate me. I'm close enough. I'm here. I promise you, if you follow me, you will get to the destination that you are trying to go to. That's where the bar is set. If you want it set lower, you're gonna to have to go somewhere else. Ooh, so here's the altar call. Number one, if you wanna be adopted, if you wanna be a part of a new family, I wanna invite you to come to Jesus, lay down your sin, lay down your past, take up newness of life, take up forgiveness, be able to say, I wanna be a part of the family of God, but, but here's the, uh, the fine print. You don't get to bring your old life and your old family and your old father and your old gods and Hermes and Zeus with you. You get a new father and a new family. Anybody this morning not saved, want to be saved, have your old family, but want a new family, time to upgrade. Amen. For the rest of you. Here's, here's the, uh, the challenges that I wanna lay forth. For the fathers, if there's anything, anything that ministered to you, I'll ask you in just one second, you guys can come forward to the altar and just do some business with your heavenly father. It's great to do business with your heavenly father. I've, I've done wrong, I've done bad, and, and uh, I've watched my kids when they get in trouble, when they know they've done something wrong or they know something has to change, they know they're gonna be accountable. It's a great thing now as a father where I'm not trying to make it worse, I'm looking to the future. I want them to be healed. I want them to understand, but I want them to be healed. I want them to be forgiven and I want them to change and grow. Uh, I really believe that some of you men will be able to do that with your heavenly father this morning. Just be able to come and do business with him. Like, Lord, you're a good father. You know, you know what has to change. You know what I need to do. Help me, you know, Um, for the women. um, What I would ask is, is as we started this morning, if you really feel, not just to come to the altar, but if you really feel that, that God could change you in that particular area of becoming a great encourager, that you would love to walk out of this room this morning and say, I'm not going to tear down, I'm not going to break down, I'm not going to discourage the men in my life. I want to be used by God to build them up. I want to be used by God to have them reach their destiny. Whether it's young men in your life that you're raising, whether it's um, uh, brothers in your family, whether it's your spouse, uh, whoever it is, be be a lifter up of these men and an encourager, be used by God in that way. I'd like you to come to the altar in just a minute. And then finally, for all of us, anybody who just wants to be a better follower, Anybody who wants to be a better follower, a child of God who's willing to say, look, Lord, I'll follow. My heavenly father, my spiritual father, my spiritual mother, whoever it is, I wanna be a good child of God. You're a good, good father. I wanna be able to see I'm a good, good child. <laughs> I just feel like we can do some good business with the Lord this morning. So the altars are open, Lord, we thank you. For Father's Day, we thank you for being a good father. We thank you for always being there. We thank you that you remind us that you are on mission that you are a bowman, Lord, that you are not trying to uh, just coddle us and protect us, Lord, that you're by design have put us at risk. You've sharpened us, you've strengthened us, you've raised us and your desire is to reach, reach in, pull us out and shoot us out into the world. We are agents of light, we are agents of change, we are agents of transformation. We wanna be used, Lord God. You've placed us in your quiver for a reason, And it's not just to stay there and to stay safe, it's to be used to change this dark world. We ask that you would help us as men to be men of God, that you would help us as men to be missional fathers, Lord, that we would be for our own children and that we would be spiritual fathers for those that you've called us to lead, Lord God. We ask that you would just help us here in this place this morning, Lord. For the women who are here, Lord, young and old, oh Lord, just shape them shape them and form them Lord God work out their own salvation Lord specifically in the area Lord of being encouragers being strengtheners Lord God you gave Eve to Adam and you said that this is your helpmate you are not full you are not complete without her you cannot be what you're supposed to be without her Lord give us women that would be used in the same way Lord God that they would not feel devalued to raise up the value of another Lord Bless them this morning, encourage them, give them vision, give them strength, Lord. Don't let them walk out of this place the same way that they walked in. Let them be changed forever. We love you this morning, Lord. Receive our worship. We receive communion, Lord, in remembrance of who you are and what you've done in our lives. We say all these things and we thank you in the name of the risen King, Jesus. Amen. Have your way, Lord. Altars are open. Communion is open. You're released. I was no way you came to my rescue From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me. Jesus you made a way I was blind